after the message, we'll sing from hymn 53, stanzas 1, 2, and 1, 2, 3, and 4, all the four stanzas of hymn 53. Our text again is from the book of Revelation, so I encourage you to have that open before you this morning, Revelation 1 and verses 1 to 8. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Revelation is a strange book. It's weird. It's unusual. Almost like a scene out of a sci-fi. Creatures that make it sound like it is an alien invasion. Chapter 9, from the pit of the earth with the rising smoke, come out giant locusts who also look like scorpions who have stingers on their tails and who are a mighty army on their heads where what looked like a crown of gold their faces were like human faces they had women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth chapter 12 we have that picture of the great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his heads, and on his heads were seven diadems, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. That's scary stuff, and yet it's not all weird and fascinating, it's also beautiful and victorious. Think of the end of the book of Revelation. And I looked and behold, uh, there was a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem coming down. Or the picture that we're given, for example, in chapter 6 where it says, a white horse appeared and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. So there is this strangeness, we would say, but there's also a lot of hope that is given, which is what we need. This is meant for us. We're living in strange times, a lot of strange happenings, a lot of anger, a lot of angry people, politicians calling each other's calling each other names. Issues are ignored and scandals are are covered up and swept under the rug. Wars, violence, disasters, growing godliness, growing godlessness rather, you name it. All the changes that we're facing right now in this last decade, especially in the last seven years or so, are so infuriating. And we might find it sometimes that we're frustrated, discouraged, or confused, or maybe even grumpy. So many strange and confusing things happening. And many of us look around and we wonder, where's God in all of this? Thus, we're given this vision a revelation 
of the triumph of Christ, the Lamb, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unfolding view from heaven, giving us this hope in a hopeless world. Three points for this morning's sermon. First, we have a word of blessing. Secondly, a greeting of grace. And then thirdly, an expectation of his return. So first of all, a word of blessing. Well, the first thing that strikes us is the title, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is not revelations, plural, which is how it's sometimes referred to. No, it is revel- the revelation, singular, which means an unveiling or an uncovering, the revealing of Jesus Christ. It's not called a revelation of John. No, it is the revelation of Christ, notice, which comes from God himself, as verse 1 says, to his angels, to his servants, and to especially his servant, John. Now that really is amazing, because it makes this whole book come as a direct message from God. It's a direct message to us. Many think that in this book are all kinds of mysteries and hidden things and dark symbolism with monsters that come from the sea and a woman with a name of mystery on her forehead, Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. But it's just the opposite. It's not hiding things for us. It is revealing them. It's unveiling a message that that God has for us. And that is that these things must take place soon. Now there are a couple of errors that we make when it comes to the book of Revelation. We would be wrong to see this as a book about the end of the world. No, it's not just that. These things must take place soon, we're told. That accounts for his unfolding plan. It means that God is in, it means what God has in store for the church and for the world. This is about history, about what God has done in the past and what he's still doing today. Specifically, this is about his history, God's redemptive story. What Jesus began at his first coming will be brought into completion at his second coming. And that's meant to encourage us. We're under a king who is ruling all of history. As Psalm 47 says, Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. God's son has ascended into heaven. He's ruling over all the earth. His kingdom is coming. He will always be with his people no matter what. That gives us encouragement. We're not defeated 
Christianity and the church will flourish no matter who is in control. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of government we have. It could be a monarchy. It could be a democracy. It could be a dictatorship. The government doesn't rule the church. Christ rules the government. Christ is in control. And he will come again. Evil is going to be destroyed. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. So let us not make the error of thinking that this book is just about the end of the world. 2,000 years have, been, have passed since the Lord has said these words. These things must take place shortly. Well, another error that we make, that we should not make, is to think that this is a book by a crazy man named John, which is meant to scare children with stories about seven-headed beasts, creatures that kill prophets and people. This is not a, this is not a horror film with an apocalyptic fire, nor is this meant to scare us off. As if, you know, we should stay safe with just hearing sermons on uh, the New Testament letters or on the Psalms or on some other portion of Scripture. You know, leave revelation to the specialist to figure out as if it's only those who are extraordinarily blessed to interpret. We may feel like running away from it, leaving it to someone else who wants to be an end-time prophet. And sometimes that may be the way that many, many feel about this. You know, as a wise theologian put it, to be an expert on the end times can become a sure way to fame, but often to fortune. You can make money on it. But instead of making us feel afraid, or to shun it, or to turn away from it, it's actually meant to be a blessing, to bless those who read these words. Notice again that exact phrase in verse 3, where it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That's a blessing that we need. As we think of future generations, you know, all of our families here today with little ones. They're being raised in a scary world. A world that is anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Christ. And it's the same for our youth who must stand up in the midst of, of a very unchristian world, a very crooked generation. We may have that confidence in Christ as we gather together today in his name, as we huddle together in this place around his solid word. The Lord will always have his church no matter if it is flourishing or diminishing. Christ builds his church and not one of his own is lost. That's why we're here today, gathered for worship, gathered around his word. God calls us to be here. God calls us to hear his words of prophecy. And in the Bible, prophecy means what God is doing 
and what he's going to do. But it also refers to warnings and urgent calls to be faithful and to believe and to be accountable to God and to trust him and to obey him. In other words, the message of Revelation is meant not only for the ears, but also for the hearts and for the lives of his people. Blessed is he who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written. Therefore, don't miss out on that blessing. Don't miss out on that blessing. The time is near. Stay focused on what is coming. Be attuned to the revelation of Christ, which God gave to show his servants. And that brings us to see, secondly, this is not only a word of blessing, but secondly, it is a greeting of grace. As we come to the the next point here, we notice a couple of things within these verses. One is the human author. Now, as you think of other uh, letters that have been written by the apostles, there's usually a bit of a, a biography, an introduction to who they are. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle, 2 Peter 1, verse 1. Here, it is just John. No more added extra information. Who is he? Well, obviously, this is John, the same one who wrote the fourth gospel and the three letters in the general epistles or the general letters in the New Testament. It makes sense that he gives this introduction for he's known by God. He's also known by the Lord's people to those to whom he wrote. And it's also written to the seven churches that were in Asia. Asia is the area known today as the country Turkey, the the western half of it. The seven churches are listed by name in chapters 2 and 3. And we find this this, number, seven. It's listed a lot within the book of Revelation. Numbers play a significant part in this book. Seven is the number of fullness. And so it's thought that these seven churches represent what? They represent the fullness of the church, the universal church. This is the beauty of God's revelation. It speaks to the gathering of the saints out of the whole human race from the very beginning of the world until the end. And that includes the church today. God addresses the churches in Western Canada Calgary, Lethbridge, Edmonton, Vancouver, Smithers, Telqua, and yes, Winnipeg. As well as those outside our province and country. New York, New York, Washington, D.C., Sioux Falls, Iowa, Denver, Colorado, Phoenix, Arizona, And also San Jose, Costa Rica, Tepic, Mexico, as well as Milan and Perugia, Italy, 
in Bucharest, Romania. This greeting comes from the triune God with this blessing from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What an encouragement that gives to the church because life can be overwhelming. This affects your personal circumstances and your relationships. As we said earlier, life can be confusing. So many ideas are weird out there. We may wonder sometimes how we got to where we are today with all of the trouble that we're facing within Canada, as well as in the rest of the world. It's almost like someone has, has taken a, a stick and poked it into an ant hole, and all the ants are coming out. Everything's gone crazy. It's hard for us to get a handle on the big picture of everything. Well, did you notice the words that are brought here to us in this greeting? Do you hear the comfort and the encouragement with which the triune God addresses you and addresses you when everything in this world seems to have gone crazy? We're reminded here of God's grace and his mercy. God's grace. God's love. Grace is his forgiveness leading to eternal life in Jesus. Peace is the result of God's mercy extended to you. You can have peace of mind. Peace in knowing God's mercy instead of his wrath. Grace and peace coming from him who was, who is, and who was, and who is to come. He's the God who controls the past, the present, and the future. And he's faithful. And grace and peace also come from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Again, think of the number seven here, this number, this number of completion. It stands for the full and invincible power of the Holy Spirit. He gives grace and peace to his children, and he fills them with his love. As well, God's grace and peace come from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. He has the power to conquer death because he is the resurrection and the life. He's the good shepherd of his people. He provides <clears throat> cleansing from sin, as it says there, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. This is the same person of the Trinity who addresses the churches when they're under pressure, when they're dealing with the pressures that come against them from persecution, or when they're troubled, or when they have lost their first love, or when they're growing cold, does any of that sound familiar to you today of yourself? Are you growing cold? Have you lost? Are you losing your first love? Are you troubled? Are you tempted? In a certain way, it's drawing you away from the Lord. But we can still be assured that we are God's property. And belong to him. You know, you think of our baptism. We're called to remember our baptism. Where God's triune name was placed upon us. 
For his word says to us today that Jesus loves us, has freed us from our sin through his blood. He's delivered us so that we can stand before God. He's greeted us with his promises that have ushered us into life. And that brings us to the last point. For not only do we see this word of blessing and a greeting of grace, thirdly, we have an expectation of his return. All this leads to a worshiping and praising of Jesus Christ in the end. With the introduction, we're told to expect the coming victory. Verse 7 says, Behold. Behold, or look. Pay attention. Don't get caught up in the distractions so that it takes you by surprise. Keep alert. Behold. He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, come. His coming in the clouds is not just referred to his final return. In scripture, it's used to, of his uh, departure from this world. That makes us think of the, the words in Deuteronomy, or sorry, in, uh, in uh, Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, about the Son of Man coming on the clouds to appear before the Ancient of Days. You remember that passage? Daniel 7. All authority and power are given to him. He, he sits on the throne. That's often a passage that maybe is misunderstood. It's actually talking about his ascension, coming on the clouds. So that's the, that's the figure that's often used in Scripture. I'd like you to turn your minds to a scene in, in uh, Matthew chapter 26 as Jesus was before the Sanhedrin and, and the uh, high priest. He had that vision of Daniel 7 in mind uh, in uh, chapter Matthew 26, verse 64. Jesus spoke of being on the, the right hand of the, of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Well, the high priests, they knew their Bibles. They knew what this was talking about. They knew exactly what was meant by this. And yet they still rejected him and crucified him. But you see, this is also the language, not only of his ascension, but of his final return, of his coming again. Now, is that something that we're longing for? You know, we opened the the service this morning with a hymn about that. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Are we looking forward to seeing him come in glory? Is this a longing for him really in our hearts today? Are we waiting for it? You know, it's so easy to forget. You know, last week, you heard a sermon from the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. That's what we're called to pray for. Have you prayed that? Are you looking forward to it? The kingdom coming? Ah, we get so caught up in the distractions of this life and the pettiness of it all, the silly arguments and the disputes over unimportant matters that have nothing to do 
focusing our minds on things to come. But all eyes will see him. Suddenly he will return. He will not be comforting for everyone because some rejected him, as it says here. They're going to mourn by, by him, because of him. Not because they're sorry or repentant for their sin, but because his enemies put him to death. And they're still enemies today. Not so for the righteous. Verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and last letters of the, of the Greek alphabet. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. And you can trust him. He's eternal, who was and is and is to come. You can rely on him in a crazy, uncertain world. Because remember, he has the last word. He's the beginning and the end. And that is sufficient. But the question again is, are you looking forward to his coming? And if you are, are you relying on his grace and peace to see you through this life? Are you praising him with the words of verse 6, which, which tell us that there is this chorus of praise. And he made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. May that be true of us today. For he has been revealed to us today that we can know him, that we may know him, and that we may worship him. Amen.